Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. Steve Largent joins us on Sports Byline, Hall of Fame wide receiver, and of course also former congressman, played 14 years in the National Football League, all with the Seattle Seahawks, seven times he was a pro bowler. You know, Steve, when I take a look at the success that you have, and then remember back that you were drafted by Houston, but traded immediately to Seattle because they thought you were too small and too slow to make it in the pros, I have to laugh. And it brings up the question, do you find that maybe the pros in the NFL tend to label players based on numbers rather than on the complete person? Well, Ron, I think, first of all, I have to tell you that my career, even now as I look back on it, I pinch myself just to make sure it really happened. Uh, I came out of college, uh, had pretty good statistics uh, as a college player, uh, but I think in everybody's mind, I was a stretch to make it in the National Football League. And I was drafted in the fourth round by the Oilers, and uh, after six weeks of training camp, they uh, basically let me go. They, they basically fired me. And um, Bum Phillips, I remember, was the head coach down there at that time, and he said, Steve, I'm going to let you go now uh, so you'll have a chance to catch on with another team. And, of course, I thought he was just shooting, uh, you know, at me, and, and so uh, I, I cried all the way home um, thinking about this lost opportunity, and I got a call the next day from the Seahawks, and uh, they said, uh, we've uh, traded for your rights, and we want to give you another chance if you'd like to continue to try to pursue your quest to play in the National Football League, and uh, I said, uh, great, I'll, I'll, I'm on my way, and I packed a small duffel bag and, and uh I took a couple of pair of jeans and some T-shirts and, and some tennis shoes, and that was about it. Headed up to the Northwest, and um, you know the rest is kind of history. But uh, you know, I think I think the NFL uh, is maybe more so today than even when I was a rookie uh, is really into labeling players uh, and and making uh, the connotation that they can play or can't play based upon what they can measure. And I just think that, uh, at least I know for my life, uh, that they couldn't measure the qualities or capabilities that I expressed as a player on the team. Uh, and uh, I was close to not ever making it in the National Football League. And I think that maybe happens more often today 
than uh, it did even when I was a player. Uh, just because I think they they uh, they uh, go to every imaginable uh, resort to uh, measure, test, time, uh, uh, tape, uh, all kinds of statistics about players. And uh, you know, I, I just I'm convinced that they miss some very good players uh, just because they're not quite tall enough, don't weigh enough, or, or aren't quite fast enough. At Tulsa, you led the nation in TD catches your junior and senior years, and I think about somebody like Steve McNair when he was coming out of college. They said, well, yeah, but what kind of talent did he play against? Do you think that that labeling being at a Tulsa and maybe not a Big Ten or a Southeastern Conference also might affect the way the evaluation process is of players? Uh, I think it does. I think it does today, and I think it did even then. Uh, I I I think if... if, um, if a, a certain scout or a team has a has has a certain type of prejudice uh, towards a a particular league or a particular size of player, uh, then it will be expressed uh, regardless of who they're looking at. And um, you know, I don't I don't know that that happened. I, there's no way I could prove that that happened in my case. But uh, the thing that I do know is that I was and have been eternally grateful for the fact that the Seahawks gave me a second chance, uh, a chance to prove myself uh, that I was capable of playing in the league, even though I wasn't the fastest, tallest, or heaviest uh, wide receiver, uh, and that I could compete with the best of them. How much of the fact that Seattle was an expansion franchise just starting out at that time, do you think factored into the fact that you got that opportunity, Steve? I, I, think, it ha- I think it had a great deal uh, to do with it. You know, When I went to the team, and that was uh, after I, I went I made it in time for the fifth preseason game. We played six preseason games and had 14 regular season games at that time. Uh, it's since changed, but <clears throat> I made it for the fifth preseason game. I came in the middle of that week, and we played on a Friday night, I believe, and we played, um, uh, let's see who we played. I think we played uh, the San Diego Chargers, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in the very first game that I ever played. And... Um, uh, the thing that was fortunate for me was that the offensive coordinator, not the offensive coordinator, the quarterback and receivers coach uh, was Jerry Rome. And Jerry Rome was my quarterback and receivers coach at the University of Tulsa for three years at the University of Tulsa. And he had installed uh, our, our passing scheme uh, with the Seahawks. So when we lined up and, and, and the play was called, uh, I knew exactly what to do. I knew exactly where to line up. I knew exactly how deep to run my routes because I had been running these same plays uh, for three years at the University of Tulsa, and that, more than anything else, was a huge advantage coming to a team that was uh, uh, complete with players that, you know, I mean, every, every player, when I first reported to their camp, had their names still taped on their helmet <laughs> because the coaches, and this was veterans and rookies, because the coaches were still familiarizing themselves with the talent uh, that they had acquired as a new as a new um, uh, franchise. What were those early years really like, both from a player standpoint, a franchise standpoint? You're up in the Northwest, so they've got an NFL franchise. Well, what were those days like, Steve? You know, we we had the absolute best time as players. Uh, we were playing for a team that uh, was in Seattle, the first time they ever had an NFL team in, in the in the city. Uh, the city was ready, begging for this team to be there. 
you know, we, we had incredible fan support. Uh, that's the one thing about Seattle that has been true from day one is that the fans in Seattle have always supported that team and, and just done so enthusiastically and uh, fervently. Uh, and it's always been appreciated, too. But uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a great, great experience for me as a uh, rookie that year uh, to play on this uh, new franchise. So it's essentially a rookie franchise as well, uh, learning about the city, learning about the people, learning about the game of football and how you play it at the next level. Uh, it was a lot of learning going on in my head, uh, but it was, a, it, was, it was also a tremendous experience. How did Jack Patera fit into that? Because I always got the sense of knowing him. He was more like a drill sergeant. Uh, was that the right coach at the right time for that franchise? You know, I'm not sure if, he, if you could say he was the right coach at the right time, but uh, he definitely had a drill sergeant mindset. He'd, he'd come from uh, co- uh, playing as a uh, – or not playing, but as assistant coach for Bud Grant in, in Minnesota. So that's uh, where, you know, we, we came out wearing the all-black shoes and, and uh, you know, no-frills kind of uh, uniforms and no-frills type of practices. Uh, he worked us to death. Uh, we, we worked very hard as a uh, – as a new franchise, and, and uh, he definitely put his imprimatur on that team and on us as players uh, and uh, very much uh, ran that team in sort of a chauvinistic sort of way. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I enjoyed playing for Jack. I thought he was a uh, very cordial, very intelligent uh, type of coach. And um, uh, so, you know, I, I enjoyed it. A lot of people didn't. Uh, but I, I thought he did a good job. If you had to put a name or a label on that group, I mean, in those early days, those first one, two, three, four <laughs> years, what would you put on them? Well, it was it was basically a revolving door group of uh, athletes. As we had a revolving door on our locker room <laughs> uh, from week to week. I mean, literally, we would change four or five players uh, almost every single week of the season. Uh, we would lose players that would be hurt or we would uh, find other players that we thought could improve us as a team uh, as they were released from uh, the teams that they were on. So it really was a revolving door uh, in our locker room uh, with new players in and out of that uh, locker room uh, almost every single day. Uh, But I would tell you the core group of the team, uh, and that was primarily uh, we we had a a staunch group of uh, veteran players who had come from winning programs of other teams, uh, as well as our rookies that we had on the team that year, uh, they really formed the backbone of the team. And uh, those are guys that didn't come or go. They were there and uh, really provided the leadership and, and the personality of the team. Guys like Norm Evans and Mike Curtis and Sherman Smith and Dave Brown and Jim Zorn and uh, you know uh, Ron Howard, uh, a lot of guys that uh, um, were just really, really, first of all, great people and um, had great influence over uh, their teammates and the community they lived in. Steve Largent, the Hall of Fame wide receiver and former congressman also. We'll talk about his political career as well. We'll talk more about those early years of the Seattle Seahawks and the quarterbacks that he played with, Jim Zorn and Dave Craig. We do that as we continue across the country and around the world. We've got you on America's sports talk show, Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. 
or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Steve Largent has joined us here on Sports Byline, the wide receiver, former congressman, 14 years in the NFL. And I might also point out that he led the Seattle Seahawks in receiving 12 straight years. If my memory serves me correct, Steve... Uh, those early years, you all had summer training camp over in eastern Washington, right? We did at Cheney, Washington. And Cheney, Washington. Now, I know that to be out in the middle of nowhere. I know how hot it gets out there. I mean, you all must have thought you were in boot camp. We literally were in the middle of a wheat field. Uh, they call it the Palouse country, uh, and it, it is exactly that. It was hot. It was dry. Uh, but we were there to play football, and uh, we were we were very serious, and uh, we, we, we took our game seriously, and, and we, we wanted to improve every single year, and we tried to do that. And not only that, we had a coach that uh, used to like to drive us into the ground. Uh, we worked very hard. We never had water on the practice field, if you remember. Uh, so there was no, no getting a drink of water uh, in between uh, drills. It was, uh, you know, you were out there, and, and, uh, and, and you worked very, very hard. The other thing, too, is is that uh, usually in the National Football League, uh, if you're a wide receiver, you are labeled either as a possession receiver or a speed guy. Uh, I've often wondered, it's a little bit like closers as compared to starters in baseball. Did you have to change your, your almost your personality and your ego to some degree to accept what your role was going to be in the NFL, Steve? Well, it's interesting. You know, uh, today, if you have a possession receiver, you're talking about a guy that's going to catch, you know, 40 or 50 or 60 balls a year, and he's going to average about uh, 10 yards a catch. Uh, that would be a great average for a possession-type receiver. And yet, uh, over the course of my career, and I played 14 years in the National Football League, uh, my, my average for over that 14-year uh, period of time, I averaged 16 yards per catch. And that, that would be uh, up there with uh, you know the, the, the speed burners. And I certainly was no speed burner, so uh, it, it's a bit of a um, uh, misnomer, I guess, uh, to, to say that a a possession receiver can also be a receiver that uh, can get you, you know, 16, 18, 20 yards uh, on a catch. Uh, and uh, you know, I just enjoyed playing in the system that we had uh, with the Seahawks, and and uh, uh, you know, I, I, I like I said, my 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 career was a storybook, and and I still pinch myself to make sure it really happened. I think you'll appreciate this comment. Keenan McCardell was with us, and I was asking him about what all great wide receivers have, and here's what he told me. We do the real, the little things. You know, you go out and every day and and make sure everything's perfect. Everything has to be perfect from, like Jerry used to say, from his uniform on up to his game. You know, if he feels perfect in his uniform, he, he, he knows he has to be perfect on the field. He feels perfect on the field. 
and it makes it easy. I mean, you know, and you you always have to have to be a leader, you know, and I think every one of those guys that you mentioned are leaders. One of the uh, nicest evenings I ever had, Steve, was spending a night uh, just talking with Jerry Rice and Tim Brown, both of them just outstanding players but also outstanding people as well. And what I came away with uh, is in talking to them is the detail orientation that they had. They also both watched an awful lot of film. Are, are those other things that are consistent with the great wide receivers in your mind? Well, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, Tim and Jerry, both of whom are friends of mine, and uh, I'm great admirers of both of their games. They were great, great wide receivers. And, you know, the thing that, that was said in uh, the interview that you just ran is so true, is that the, the guys that are great players are not great players by accident, that they actually uh, put a great deal of time and effort and thought into their games. And, you know, football is not a game that you just go out and you turn the lights on and turn the lights off. Uh, it takes some time. You've got to study. You've got to prepare. And I'm talking about preparation off the field as well as on the field. And the guys that are really great players are guys that are willing to put in that kind of effort uh, you know, t- so that they can be at their absolute best. And uh, I was laughing about uh, Keenan McCardle's uh, comment about Jerry Rice wanting everything perfect. I, I was exactly <laughs> the same way. Uh, you know, I had to have you know, everything from my helmet to my shoes had to be just right. Um, sweatbands, everything uh, had to be just just perfect uh, when I went out uh, to play a game because you know I, I was I was going out there to play the perfect game and uh, I wanted to look the part and so uh, you know I, I just think that's really true of uh, the guys that really separate themselves from everybody else and that's not easy to do in the National Football League because everybody's a good player when you play in the National Football League uh, but to, to set yourself at a level above. Uh, it takes uh, it takes exceptional effort. Uh, it takes an ac- exceptional mindset, uh, and um, it takes a lot of hard work. One of the things that I've always found interesting over my years of observing sports and talking to the great athletes, Steve, and I remember Michael Jordan and I having a conversation, and I asked him about the fear of failure and what it's uh, you know as a motivation. And, and he said that that is a great motivation for most athletes. They do not want to fa- uh, fail, and that the great athletes truly like matchups that challenge them. Did you find it to be the same way with you? And who were those defensive backs, uh, players that you played against, that, that really challenged you and that you looked forward to going up against? Well, I, I would tell you that the fear of failure was maybe the most motivating um, cause of action in my life and that 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 came as a result of you know growing up in a family who's uh, you know my dad left my mom when i was six years old uh my mom remarried my stepfather was an alcoholic and so that created a whole uh different uh, set of issues in our family and uh, so there was kind of some insecurity that was built up in my life and uh, as a result of that uh, this fear of failure uh, was really resonating in my life. Uh, and so when I went out to play, I was out there not just to go out there and compete as an athlete, but uh, you know, feeling as if the weight of the world was on my back and I had to carry it. And if I didn't, that, uh, you know, that, that I really was no good. And that's not a good, that's not a good way to, <laughs> to uh, perform as an, as an athlete, and I know that now. Uh, but that is the reason that that uh, I feel like that that I was so motivated as a player uh, was that fear of failure. Uh, but 
you ask about some of the great players that I've played against, um, defensive backs, two come to mind right away, and they both happen to play for the same team, the Los Angeles Raiders at that time, and that would be Mike Haynes and Lester Hayes. Uh, those guys were great, great players. Another one that comes to mind is Louie Wright, who played for the Denver Broncos, another great player. And then San Diego Chargers had a, a cornerback named Gil Bird. Uh, later on in my career that was a, a great player, still coaching in the National Football League, I believe, in St. Louis. And uh, he, he was also just a guy that would just really thump you uh, every chance he got. But, um, you know, that, that I had a, I had a, a number of uh, great matchups uh, over the course of my career. I will tell you, somebody else that I know, and I don't think you lament to leave him off the list, but he'll be joining you in the Hall of Fame, and that was Daryl Green, with oh, the absolutely. Washington Redskins. And yeah. I had Daryl here on the show. You're going to love this. I asked him about playing cornerback in the NFL. I think that defensive back, you know, they try to compare it to quarterback in different positions. It's it's probably one of the toughest positions, at least the way I've played it over the years, uh, of all sports. You know, and not knocking basketball. Those guys run all day. And baseball, they do it. But... And linemen do their job on football and running backs. But I tell you what, when you play corner, it's like, you know, everybody's against you. People would prefer, you know, somebody catch a great pass on you in the end zone and do a dance than to see you knock it down. You know, it's kind of, oh, you know. So it's a mentally tough job and obviously a physically tough job because I'm I'm just a hair in the five foot nine. And about 185, so I'm normally outsized. I'm never outspeeded. Uh, you know, nobody can outrun me necessarily at wide receiver, but normally they're a lot bigger than I am. And the other thing is, guess what? They know where they're going. <laughs> he was something special, wasn't he, Steve? <laughs> he, I tell you what, Daryl Green uh, was in a class by himself. He yep. really was. He still is. I mean, he's he's a. He's a great guy and, a, and was a great NFL football player. Did you play against him? I did several times. Okay. Uh, in fact, uh, I think 1988 was. Oh, no, 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 I take that back. Uh, the last game I played in my career was against the Washington Redskins yep. in the Kingdom, and they thumped us bad. Uh, but uh, yeah, I played against Daryl Green several times. What is it that the all all the great uh, defensive backs do consistently in covering wide receivers? Well, I, I think I think number one is that um, they they all um, have a, kind of a hidden quality about them, and it, it has to do with the way they prepare to play the game, and then the way they end up playing the game, uh, and it's a professionalism, uh, the way they conduct themselves uh, on the field is is uh, I, I have seen has been very professional. It's the guys that get out there and start running their mouths and and all that kind of stuff. Those are the guys that you know they're not very good. Uh, they're insecure. They, 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 don't, they, they, can't, uh, they can talk a good game, but they can't play a good game. But it's the guys that are good that uh, let their actions speak for themselves. They don't have to say anything. They let their actions speak for themselves. And uh, that's, that's what really separated guys like Mike Haynes and, and uh, Daryl Green and, and uh, Lester Hayes and other guys like that. Uh, they, they came to play on Sunday. And um, you, you knew that they were going to show up every every Sunday that they had to. 
Steve Largent has joined us, the Hall of Fame wide receiver, 14 years in the NFL, all with the Seattle Seahawks. And at the time of his retirement, Steve held six major NFL receiving records, most receptions, consecutive games with a reception, receiving yards, TD receptions, seasons with 50 or more receptions, and 1,000-yard seasons, all records in the NFL at that particular time. We continue with more of you and Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Steve Largen has joined us here on Sports Byline. Let me ask you about the quarterbacks that you mentioned a little bit earlier, Jim Zorn and Dave Craig. I've always been interested in the chemistry relationship between wide receiver and quarterback and how it comes about. Does it come about naturally or is it mechanical, Steve? Well, you know, I don't think it's mechanical, uh, but neither do I think it's natural. Um, I I think the uh, relationship that I had with both of the the quarterbacks that I played with for the majority of my career uh, were uh, relationships um, that, you know, I I had to work at. Uh, Not that those guys weren't great guys, and they they were and they are great guys. And uh, Jim Zorn's my best friend today. And Dave Craig is a very good friend as well. Uh, but you have to work at those kind of friendships and relationships uh, to ensure that they grow and that, that, that you're communicating, particularly as a wide receiver, communicating with your quarterback. Uh, you, you heard Daryl Green talk about that you know, receivers at least know where they're going and, and what they're trying to accomplish, and a defensive back's trying to react to that. But uh, it, it takes some work uh, to get your patterns down and get the timing with the quarterback down and, uh, be able to catch the ball consistently. And uh, I had two quarterbacks in, in Jim and Dave who both were willing to stay out on the field as long as it took to get these routes uh, down pat. And uh, believe me, I would stay out there all day, and, and they would too. And, and we worked and worked and worked and worked. We worked in the off season. We worked during the regular season uh, until we got it right. And that was the thing that um, – really helped me separate myself from uh, defensive backs for sure uh, is just the the willingness to to work until I got it right, until I was confident uh, that I could run the route the way I wanted to run it and catch the ball when it was thrown to me. One of those little nuances in the relationship between quarterback and wide receiver, Steve, I've always believed is trust. And what I mean by that is trust that, one, you're not going to get hung out to dry with a high pass when you're going across the middle. And the other trust going the opposite direction is that when the quarterback throws the ball on the deep out pattern and puts it in the air before you even make your cut, that it's going to be in the area that you're supposed to go in. Can you talk a little bit about that development between quarterback and wide receiver and trust? Yeah, I think, I, think it's, I think it has a lot to do with trust. I think it has a lot to do with faith. Uh, just believing in your teammate that he's going to do what he's supposed to do if you do what you're supposed to do. And uh, that, that kind of trust, that kind of faith that you develop uh, in a quarterback-receiver relationship is so vitally important. Uh, and that's why you know, I felt like it was so important for us to work as hard as we could on the practice field so that when the game came, we knew exactly what one another was going to do. We got to the point 
that we could read one another even in impromptu situations when you're when your protection breaks down, your quarterback starts to scramble, and your receivers are kind of breaking off their routes, and they're moving and trying to get open. Uh, even in those situations, we had such good uh, nonverbal communication with one another that we would instinctively know uh, what the other was going to do, uh, when he was going to throw the ball, where I was going to be uh, when he threw the ball. And uh, that kind of instinct, that kind of uh, reaction, can only be developed as you develop the kind of faith and trust that you talked about. Correct me if I'm wrong about this. Wasn't Jim Zorn a left-hander? He was. Jim and was left and Dave was right. That's what I thought. And I asked that because catching the ball from each, Kenny Stabler was a left-handed uh, quarterback as well, and I understand the spiral is totally different uh, as well. What adjustments did you have to make between the two quarterbacks then? Well, really, the, uh, they, they threw different kinds of balls, but that, that goes well beyond uh, whether they're right-handed or left-handed. But a left-hander's ball will always tail to the left on long balls. Uh, typically, the short balls when you're throwing a, you know, a, a short out or a, a, even an 18-yard out or comeback route or a crossing route, that's not going to make that much difference. But when you're throwing the ball deep down the field, that's when you'll really notice a difference where a right-hander's ball will tail to the right and a left-hander's ball tails to the left. So when I was running a route and I was on the left side and uh, running deeper, I would always try to give myself another yard or two uh, on the left side because I knew Jim's ball would, would tend to fade to the outside. And I wanted to be in a position where I, I still had room to catch it and be in bounds. Uh, so I'd always give myself a little extra room on the left side. And just the opposite for Dave. If I was running a route on the right side, I'd give myself a little more room on the right side because his ball tended to tail to the right. Uh, but other than that, uh, they're really, uh, I don't think you can really tell that much difference between a left-hander and a right-hander uh, who throw the ball right. When your career was over with on the football field, you decided to go in a different direction, and that was a political direction. What drove you in that uh, direction? <laughs> well, actually, I didn't decide to do that uh, when I got out of football. I, I moved back to Oklahoma. Uh, I was raising my four children, uh, and uh, my wife and I were... Uh, quite happy uh, living and working in Oklahoma. And uh, she kind of whispered in my ear uh, about five years after I retired, uh, it was about 94, she goes, you know, I think, she said, I wonder if we're supposed to use the platform you had as a professional athlete and to use it to uh, for some higher, better purpose. And uh, I said, well, you know, like what kind of purpose are you thinking? She goes, I'm thinking like, you know, to running for political office. <laughs> And uh, I, I really didn't know how to answer that question, but uh, you know, I'd nod my head and smile and, and uh, kind of go on down the road. But uh, about 1994, we had a situation in Oklahoma where we had a, uh, a member of Congress who was going to run for an open Senate seat and leave his congressional seat, and it happened to be in the, the congressional district that we lived in. And my wife said, you know, maybe this is the time to consider running for this uh, political office. And so, boy, I did everything I could to uh, talk my way out of this, but uh, <laughs> it, it just wasn't meant to be. And, and uh, so I threw my hat, my name in the hat and uh, ended up in a six-way primary. And in Oklahoma, you have to win with uh, 50% plus one vote to avoid a runoff. And uh, in that initial um, uh, campaign for the primary, I actually won without a runoff. And uh, I ended up getting 63% in the, uh, the general election and, and I was on my way, and uh, I, I didn't quite know where I was going, but I, I knew what I was going to do. And uh, so it was, uh, I would say today that uh, my experience uh, serving in the United States Congress for nearly eight years 
uh, was one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my life. I learned more about our country. I learned more about our founding fathers and the founding documents of this country uh, and, uh, and, and how the government operates than I ever would have uh, by reading any book or uh, watching any movie. Uh, and it was a tremendous, tremendous, uh, fulfilling uh, experience for me to serve our country in that way. Steve, were you ever concerned about the fact that you'd be looked upon as a jock and not taken seriously as a congressman? You know, I, I think uh, I, I wasn't really uh, worried about that. Uh, there, I, I think there were a number of people that uh, remembered my football playing days, obviously, and uh, liked to talk about that. And, and and that was fine, but uh, I knew I was there representing the 1st Congressional District of Oklahoma, and I was there to, uh, uh, to uh, be a voice for the people that I represented and be a vote for the people that I represented in the 1st Congressional District, and that's what I did. Because I don't think you wanted to be typecasted in any way. You had another congressman from Oklahoma also that was a football player, pretty good one at Oklahoma, yeah. Congressman Watts, uh, of course, and I have got, had a chance to talk with him, and he was always concerned about that, that people you know, might vote on him because of name recognition and what he did in football and not on the issues. Well, you know what? My feeling was I didn't care why they voted for me. I wanted them to vote for me, <laughs> and then I was going to go and represent the, the people uh, that uh, had voted for me. So, you know, I, I guess I had a little bit different take on it. Uh, but the thing that I tried to do in all the campaigns that I ran was to, to make sure people understood who I was and what I stood for and how I was going to vote. Because I wasn't going to take a poll or, or ask, you know, what should I do on this one. I was going to vote the way my heart and my head uh, said I needed to vote. And uh, that's why it was important to me to make sure people knew who I was and what I believed and what I stood for uh, before the election and then to give them an opportunity to vote for me if that's uh, reflect if my the way I was going to vote reflected uh, the way they felt the majority of the time. It's interesting, Steve. I was born in Washington, D.C. My grandfather was the curator of the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum, and I started my career at the Washington Post. So I have a lot of connection to Washington, D.C. So I can ask this question of you. In talking to Senator McCain here on Sports Byline, I said to him, I said, John, he's a big boxing fan, and that was why he was on a national sports show. But I said, John, I said, knowing how outspoken you were about things, how did a guy like you even exist in Washington? He said, well, I'm not the prettiest girl in town, and I don't get invited to a lot of dances. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to ask you the same thing. Being as uh, a sportsman, as honest as you were, how did you uh, deal with being in a political world that is not as sportsmanlike sometimes? Well, it, it, and it's unfortunately it's not. Uh, but I would tell you that you know, I, I never. Um, I, I guess I was just not the type of politician that uh, believed in in uh, you know using dirty tactics or. Uh, talking badly about my opponent or anything like that. I never, I never campaigned uh, 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 on what my opponent was or wasn't. I didn't even talk about my opponent. I talked about what I believed in and, and uh, what I wanted to do as a member of Congress. And uh, yeah, I left all the, the dirt and all that stuff uh, somebody else to, to play in that that field. But um, so I, you know, I, I, and that's the way I, I, I did it in Congress as well. As I, I just. Uh, tried to attack issues and not people, uh, and uh, I always felt like that, uh, that that worked for me. It's interesting. When I look at politics today, it's usually more perception and it is reality. I don't know that today's uh, voter is uh, articulate or intelligent enough to take it the look at the issues or break them down, or if they get so much information, they don't know what's truth and what is not truth. Was that hard for you to deal with that since you were a straight-talking 
athlete as well as a politician? Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I, you know, they talk about spin machines yep. in Washington. That's what they that's what they refer to, and essentially, it's it's just uh, having the ability to uh, obscure the truth is really what it is. And and I, I I I didn't do that. I didn't I didn't think I needed to, and I didn't uh, that just didn't come naturally to me. And uh, I just believe in in in, in speaking the truth, and uh, and kind of letting it fall wherever it fell. Uh, but uh, you know, there there's a lot of the the spinning that goes on in Washington, uh, maybe more so today than even when I was in politics, and uh, and that it can be disheartening at times. Uh, but I can tell you that I I truly believe what I'm about to tell you is that I believe as many uh, problems that we have within uh, our system of government. It clearly is the best form of government that's ever been created in the world, and uh, it, and I am a great respecter of it. You know what's interesting is I've been in Iraq and I've been in Afghanistan, and the one thing I still find, no matter what the politics of the situation is, that people still admire the lifestyle that we have and the political system that they, we do have. I think you're absolutely right about that. After having gone after the governorship in, in the state of Oklahoma, not successful, uh, are you turned off in any way about politics, or will we see Steve Largent again in a political office, you think? Well, I'm not turned off with politics. Uh, I still believe in it. Uh, I, I still uh, believe in the people that uh, are running our country. Uh, but I'm, I, I think I've, I've uh, served my time, if you will. Uh, I never got into politics thinking that it was going to be a lifelong career for me. Uh, I, I got in to serve uh, for some period of time. And uh, losing the governor's race, as you mentioned, in 2002 was uh, a great exit strategy for me, uh, and, uh, and, and I've, I've, I'm willing to accept that. Uh, I, don't, I don't need politics, uh, and I feel like that I've uh, served my time. We only got 90 seconds left, but when you look back on your playing career, what memories do you have? Oh, gosh, I, I have so many great memories. I, I think if I were to think of one game, uh, in my career, it would be when we beat the Dolphins in the divisional championship game in Miami. Uh, Dan Marino was a rookie quarterback throwing to uh, his two rookie wide receivers, uh, Duper and Clayton, and uh, we went down there and, and, and they had the best record in the AFC that year, and we were the, we were the team in the wild card that won the wild card game. We went down and beat them, and it put us into the AFC championship game against the Raiders. Uh, which we ended up losing, but that game we we, we won against Miami, uh, I think, really stands out uh, of all the games that I played in Seattle. And if I remember correctly, wasn't that a very rainy day that you guys played on it, down there? It was. It actually was. And we came out before the game and saw that it was raining. And we said, "Hey, this is a, this is our kind of weather." Uh, and so we went out and we we played a great game. Kurt Warner had a great game, and uh, I didn't catch a pass in that game until the fourth quarter. And I caught two passes after we had fallen behind. Caught two passes. The last one put us down to the one-yard line. And Kurt scored the next play. Uh, but uh, it was it was uh, it was really a fun game. In about 15 seconds, 20 seconds, you know we're heard worldwide on the American Forces Network. I'm sure you'd like to send a shout out to the troops, Steve. Oh, absolutely. I, I just can't say to these guys uh, how much uh, their hard work and and dedication and loyalty uh, to our country means to me. And uh, uh, just let them know that uh, I, for one, and, and uh, really respect and admire uh, the hard work and the tough job that they're doing uh, overseas right now. Steve, I want to thank you. Please come back and visit with me again on Sports Byline. I'd love to do it. Steve Largent, the Hall of Fame wide receiver, deservedly so, and former congressman as well. We'll take a quick break as we continue with more of you and America's sports talk show.
You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.